Chapter Eight of Against the Grain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Against the Grain by Joris Karl Wiesmans. Translated by John Howard. Chapter Eight. He had always been passionately fond of flowers but during his residence at Jutigny, that love had been lavished upon flowers of all sorts. He had never cultivated distinctions and discriminations in regard to them. Now his taste in this direction had grown refined and self-conscious. For a long time he had scorned the popular plants which grow in flat baskets, in watered pots, under green awnings or under the red parasols of parisian markets simultaneous with the refinement of his literary taste and his preoccupations with art which permitted him to be content only in the presence of choice creations distilled by subtly troubled brains and simultaneous with the weariness he began to feel in the presence of popular ideas his love for flowers had grown purged of all impurities and lees, and had become clarified. He compared a florist's shop to a microcosm, wherein all the categories of society are represented. Here are poor common flowers, the kind found in hovels, which are truly at home only when resting on ledges of garret windows their roots thrust into milk-bottles and old pans, like the gilly-flower, for example, and one also finds stupid and pretentious flowers like the rose, which belongs in the porcelain flower-pots painted by young girls. Then there are the flowers of noble lineage like the orchid, so delicate and charming, at once cold and palpitating, exotic flowers exiled in the heated glass palaces of paris princesses of the vegetable kingdom living in solitude having absolutely nothing in common with the street plants and other bourgeois flora he permitted himself to feel a certain interest and pity only for the popular flowers enfeebled by their nearness to the odours of sinks and drains in the poor quarters. In revenge he detested the bouquets harmonising with the cream and gold rooms of pretentious houses. For the joy of his eyes he reserved those distinguished rare blooms which had been brought from distant lands and whose lives were sustained by artful devices under artificial equators. But this very choice, this predilection for the conservatory plants, had itself changed under the influence of his mode of thought. Formerly, during his Parisian days, his love for artificiality had led him to abandon real flowers, and to use in their place replicas faithfully executed by means of the miracles performed with india-rubber and wire, calico and taffeta, paper and silk. 
he was the possessor of a marvellous collection of tropical plants the result of the labours of skilful artists who knew how to follow nature and recreate her step by step taking the flower as a bud leading it to its full development even imitating its decline reaching such a point of perfection as to convey every nuance the most fugitive expressions of the flower when it opens at dawn and closes at evening observing the appearance of the petals curled by the wind or rumpled by the rain applying dewdrops of gum on its matutinal corollas shaping it in full bloom when the branches bend under the burden of their sap or showing the dried stem and shrivelled cupules when calyxes are thrown off and leaves fall to the ground this wonderful art had held him entranced for a long while but now he was dreaming of another experiment he wished to go one step beyond instead of artificial flowers imitating real flowers natural flowers should mimic the artificial ones he directed his ideas to this end and had not to seek long or go far since his house lay in the very heart of a famous horticultural region he visited the conservatories of the avenue de chatillon and of the aunay valley and returned exhausted his purse empty astonished at the strange forms of vegetation he had seen thinking of nothing but the species he had acquired and continually haunted by memories of magnificent and fantastic plants the flowers came several days later des Esseintes, holding a list in his hands verified each one of his purchases the gardeners from their wagons brought a collection of caladiums which sustained enormous heart-shaped leaves on turgid hairy stalks while preserving an air of relationship with its neighbour no one leaf repeated the same pattern others were equally extraordinary the roses like the virginale seemed cut out of varnished cloth or oil silks the white ones like the albano appeared to have been cut out of an ox's transparent pleura or the diaphanous bladder of a pig some particularly the madame mame imitated zinc and parodied pieces of stamped metal having a hue of emperor green stained by drops of oil paint and by spots of white and red lead others like the bosphorus gave the illusion of a starched calico in crimson and myrtle green still others like the aurora borealis displayed leaves having the colour of raw meat streaked with purple sides violet fibrils tumefied leaves from which oozed blue wine and blood the albano and the aurora sounded the two extreme notes of temperament the apoplexy and chlorosis of this plant 
the gardeners brought still other varieties which had the appearance of artificial skin ridged with false veins and most of them looked as though consumed by syphilis and leprosy for they exhibited livid surfaces of flesh veined with scarlet rash and damasked with eruptions some had the deep red hue of scars that have just closed or the dark tint of incipient scabs others were marked with matter raised by scaldings there were forms which exhibited shaggy skins hollowed by ulcers and relieved by cankers and a few appeared embossed with wounds covered with black mercurial hog-lard with green unguents of belladonna smeared with grains of dust and the yellow micas of iodoform collected in his home these flowers seemed to des Esseintes more monstrous than when he had beheld them confused with others among the glass rooms of the conservatory sapristi he exclaimed enthusiastically a new plant modelled like the caladiums the alocasia metallica excited him even more it was coated with a layer of bronze-green on which glanced silver reflections it was the masterpiece of artificiality it could be called a piece of stove-pipe cut by a chimney-maker into the form of a pike-head the men next brought clusters of leaves lozenge-like in shape and bottle-green in colour in the centre rose a rod at whose end a varnished ace of hearts swayed as though meaning to defy all conceivable forms of plants a fleshy stalk climbed through the heart of this intense vermilion ace a stalk that in some specimens was straight in others showed ringlets like a pig's tail it was the anthurium an aroid recently imported into france from colombia a variety of that family to which also belonged an amorphophallus a cochin china plant with leaves shaped like fish-knives with long dark stems seamed with gashes like lambs flecked with black des Esseintes exulted they brought a new batch of monstrosities from the wagon echinopses issuing from padded compresses with rose-coloured flowers that looked like the pitiful stumps gaping nidularia revealing skinless foundations in steel plates tillandsia lindeni the colour of wine-must with jagged scrapers cypripedia with complicated contours a crazy piece of work seemingly designed by a crazy inventor they looked like sabots or like a lady's work-table on which lies a human tongue with taut filaments such as one sees designed on the illustrated pages of works treating of the diseases of the throat and mouth 
two little side-pieces of a red jujube colour which appeared to have been borrowed from a child's toy mill completed this singular collection of a tongue's underside with the colour of slate and wine-lees and of a glossy pocket from whose lining oozed a viscous glue he could not remove his eyes from this unnatural orchid which had been brought from india then the gardeners impatient at his procrastinations themselves began to read the labels fastened to the pots they were carrying in bewildered des Esseintes looked on and listened to the cacophonous sounds of the names the encephalatus horridus a gigantic iron rust-coloured artichoke like those put on portals of chateau to foil wall-climbers the cocos micania a sort of notched and slender palm surrounded by tall leaves resembling paddles and oars the zamia lemani an immense pineapple a wondrous chester leaf planted in sweet heather soil its top bristling with barbed javelins and jagged arrows the sibotium spectabile surpassing the others by the craziness of its structure hurling a defiance to reverie as it darted through the palmated foliage an enormous orang-outang tail a hairy dark tail whose end was twisted into the shape of a bishop's cross but he gave little heed for he was impatiently awaiting the series of plants which most bewitched him the vegetable ghouls the carnivorous plants the antilles flytrap with its shaggy border secreting a digestive liquid armed with crooked prickles coiling around each other forming a grating about the imprisoned insect the drosera of the peat-bogs provided with glandular hair the saracena and the cephalothus opening greedy horns capable of digesting and absorbing real meat lastly the nepenthes whose capricious appearance transcends all limits of eccentric forms he never wearied of turning in his hands the pot in which this floral extravagance stirred it imitated the gum-tree whose long leaf of dark metallic green it possessed but it differed in that a green string hung from the end of its leaf an umbilic cord supporting a greenish urn streaked with jasper a sort of german porcelain pipe a strange bird's nest which tranquilly swung about revealing an interior covered with hair this is really something worth while des Esseintes murmured he was forced to tear himself away for the gardeners anxious to leave were emptying their wagons of their contents and depositing without any semblance of order the tuberous begonias and black crotons stained like sheet-iron with saturn red 
then he perceived that one name still remained on his list it was the cattleya of new granada on it was designed a little winged bell of a faded lilac an almost dead mauve he approached placed his nose above the plant and quickly recoiled it exhaled an odour of toy boxes of painted pine it recalled the horrors of a new year's day he felt that he would do well to mistrust it and he almost regretted having admitted among the scentless plants this orchid which evoked the most disagreeable memories as soon as he was alone his gaze took in this vegetable tide which foamed in the vestibule intermingled with each other they crossed their swords their krisses and stanchions taking on a resemblance to a green pile of arms above which like barbaric pennons floated flowers with hard dazzling colours the air of the room grew rarefied then in the shadowy dimness of a corner near the floor a white soft light crept he approached and perceived that the phenomenon came from the rhizomorphes which threw out these night-lamp gleams while respiring these plants are amazing he reflected then he drew back to let his eye encompass the whole collection at a glance his purpose was achieved not one single specimen seemed real the cloth paper porcelain and metal seemed to have been loaned by man to nature to enable her to create her monstrosities when unable to imitate man's handiwork nature had been reduced to copying the inner membranes of animals to borrowing the vivid tints of their rotting flesh their magnificent corruptions all is syphilis thought des Esseintes, his eye riveted upon the horrible streaked stainings of the caladium plants caressed by a ray of light and he beheld a sudden vision of humanity consumed through the centuries by the virus of this disease since the world's beginnings every single creature had from sire to son transmitted the imperishable heritage the eternal malady which has ravaged man's ancestors and whose effects are visible even in the bones of old fossils that have been exhumed the disease had swept on through the centuries gaining momentum it even raged to-day concealed in obscure sufferings dissimulated under symptoms of headaches and bronchitis hysterics and gout it crept to the surface from time to time preferably attacking the ill-nourished and the poverty-stricken spotting faces with gold pieces ironically decorating the faces of poor wretches stamping the mark of money on their skins to aggravate their unhappiness 
and here on the coloured leaves of the plants it was resurgent in its original splendour it is true pursued des Esseintes, returning to the course of reasoning he had momentarily abandoned it is true that most often nature left alone is incapable of begetting such perverse and sickly specimens she furnishes the original substance the germ and the earth the nourishing womb and the elements of the plant which man then sets up models paints and sculpts as he wills limited stubborn and formless though she be nature has at last been subjected and her master has succeeded in changing through chemical reaction the earth's substances in using combinations which had been long matured cross-fertilization processes long prepared in making use of slips and graftings and man now forces differently coloured flowers in the same species invests new tones for her modifies to his will the long-standing form of her plants polishes the rough clods puts an end to the period of botch work places his stamp on them imposes on them the mark of his own unique art it cannot be gainsaid he thought resuming his reflections that man in several years is able to effect a selection which slothful nature can produce only after centuries decidedly the horticulturalists are the real artists nowadays he was a little tired and he felt stifled in this atmosphere of crowded plants the promenades he had taken during the last few days had exhausted him the transition had been too sudden from the tepid atmosphere of his room to the out-of-doors from the placid tranquillity of a reclusive life to an active one he left the vestibule and stretched out on his bed to rest but absorbed by this new fancy of his his mind even in his sleep could not lessen its tension and he was soon wandering among the gloomy insanities of a nightmare he found himself in the centre of a walk in the heart of the wood twilight had fallen he was strolling by the side of a woman whom he had never seen before she was emaciated and had flaxen hair a bulldog face freckles on her cheeks crooked teeth projecting under a flat nose she wore a nurse's white apron a long neckerchief torn in strips on her bosom half shoes like those worn by prussian soldiers and a black bonnet adorned with frillings and trimmed with a rosette there was a foreign look about her like that of a mountebank at a fair he asked himself who the woman could be he felt that she had long been an intimate part of his life vainly he sought her origin her name 
her profession, her reason for being. No recollection of this liaison, which was inexplicable and yet positive, rewarded him. He was searching his past for a clue, when a strange figure suddenly appeared on horseback before them, trotting about for a moment, and then turning around in its saddle. Des Esseintes' heart almost stopped beating, and he stood riveted to the spot with horror. He nearly fainted. This enigmatic, sexless figure was green. Through her violet eyelids the eyes were terrible in their cold blue. Pimples surrounded her mouth, horribly emaciated skeleton arms bared to the elbows issued from ragged tattered sleeves and trembled feverishly and the skinny legs shivered in shoes that were several sizes too large the ghastly eyes were fixed on des Esseintes, penetrating him freezing his very marrow wilder than ever the bulldog woman threw herself at him and commenced to howl like a dog at the killing her head hanging on her rigid neck suddenly he understood the meaning of the frightful vision before him was the image of syphilis pursued by fear and quite beside himself he sped down a pathway at top speed and gained a pavilion standing among the laburnums to the left where he fell into a chair in the passageway after a few moments when he was beginning to recover his breath the sound of sobbing made him lift his head the bulldog woman was in front of him and grotesque and woeful while warm tears fell from her eyes she told him that she had lost her teeth in her flight as she spoke she drew clay pipes from the pocket of her nurse's apron breaking them and shoving pieces of the stems into the hollows of her gums but she is really absurd des Esseintes told himself these stems will never stick and as a matter of fact they dropped out one after another at this moment were heard the galloping sounds of an approaching horse a fearful terror pierced des Esseintes. his limbs gave way the galloping grew louder despair brought him sharply to his senses he threw himself upon the woman who was stamping on the pipe-bowls entreating her to be silent not to give notice of their presence by the sound of her shoes she writhed and struggled in his grip he led her to the end of the corridor strangling her to prevent her crying out suddenly he noticed the door of a coffee-house with green venetian shutters it was unlocked he pushed it rushed in headlong and then paused before him in the centre of a vast glade huge white pierrots were leaping rabbit-like under the rays of the moon 
tears of discouragement welled to his eyes never no never would he succeed in crossing the threshold i shall be crushed he thought and as though to justify his fears the ranks of tall pierrots swarmed and multiplied their somersaults now covered the entire horizon the whole sky on which they landed now on their heads now on their feet then the hoof-beats paused he was in the passage behind a round skylight more dead than alive des Esseintes turned about and through the round window beheld projecting erect ears, yellow teeth, nostrils from which breathed two jets of vapour smelling of phenol. He sank to the ground. Renouncing all ideas of flight or resistance, he closed his eyes so as not to behold the horrible gaze of syphilis which penetrated through the wall, which even pierced his closed lids, which he felt gliding over his moist spine, over his body, whose hair bristled in pools of cold sweat. He waited for the worst, and even hoped for the coup de grace to end everything. A moment which seemed to last a century passed shuddering he opened his eyes everything had vanished without any transition as though by some stage device a frightful mineral landscape receded into the distance a wan dead waste gullied landscape a light illumined this desolate sight a peaceful white light that recalled gleams of phosphorus dissolved in oil. Something that stirred on the ground became a deathly pale nude woman whose feet were covered with green silk stockings. He contemplated her with curiosity. As though frizzed by overheated irons, her hair curled, becoming straight again at the end. Her distended nostrils were the colour of roast veal. Her eyes were desirous, and she called to him in low tones. He had no time to answer, for already the woman was changing. Flamboyant colours passed and repassed in her eyes. Her lips were stained with a furious anthurium red. The nipples of her breasts flashed, painted like two pods of red pepper. A sudden intuition came to him. It is the flower, he said, and his reasoning mania persisted in his nightmare. Then he observed the frightful irritation of the breasts and mouth discovered spots of bister and copper on the skin of her body and recoiled bewildered but the woman's eyes fascinated him and he advanced slowly attempting to thrust his heels into the earth so as not to move letting himself fall and yet lifting himself to reach her 
just as he touched her the dark amorphophalli leaped up from all sides and thrust their leaves into his abdomen which rose and fell like a sea he had broken all the plants experiencing a limitless disgust in seeing these warm firm stems stirring in his hands suddenly the detested plants had disappeared and two arms sought to enlace him a terrible anguish made his heart beat furiously for the eyes the horrible eyes of the woman had become a clear cold and terrible blue he made a superhuman effort to free himself from her embrace but she held him with an irresistible movement he beheld the wild nidularium which yawned bleeding in steel plates with his body he touched the hideous wound of this plant he felt himself dying awoke with a start suffocating frozen mad with fear and sighing oh thank god it was but a dream end of chapter 8 recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey